You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. An exotic animal sanctuary in Anacortes could soon be forced to shut down. It's raising questions about what may happen to the animals there and also questions about the line between a facility that assists animals and a place that functions as a private zoo. The facility is called Because We Matter Exotic Animal Sanctuary. And it's better known as its former name, Predators of the Heart. A menagerie of animals live on the property, including bobcats, cougars, birds of prey, sloths, raccoons, and possums. But it's most known for a pack of wolf-dog hybrids, which are well-documented on the organization's TikTok account. The executive director of the sanctuary, Ashley Carr, says that a complicated series of regulatory and legal actions is now threatening her sanctuary. Last year, Skagit County informed Carr that she needs a permit to hold tours of the facility. Up until February of 2022, Carr had been using Airbnb to offer small groups the opportunity to go inside the wolf dog enclosure and meet the animals. She's been unable to get that permit, and Carr says it puts the sanctuary under threat because tours were a primary source of revenue for Because We Matter. That's gone, right? So because we were self-sufficient and we didn't really over-ask for donations or anything like that because we were able to provide well with doing tours. The Animal Legal Defense Fund opposed granting the permit. It said in a comment submitted to the Skagit County hearing examiner, quote, Reputable sanctuaries adhere to a set of generally accepted standards. These include no human-animal contact, no breeding, and no sale of animals. Despite declaring itself a wildlife sanctuary, Predators of the Heart violates all three of these standards. End quote. A group of neighbors in Anacortes are also suing the facility, pointing to a number of concerns, including animal escapes. A nearby dog owner was paid $50,000 in damages after three wolf dogs escaped in 2021 and killed a pet chihuahua. Carr acknowledges two wolf dogs were born at the facility and were sold to another organization in 2017, but that was while Carr's father was executive director, and she says that kind of occurrence doesn't happen anymore. And as for letting people enter the enclosures, Carr says she doesn't force animals to interact with humans. She provides them with space to move out of enclosures where humans are present. Carr says only five dogs interact with visitors, animals she calls wolf dog ambassadors. She says she's willing to end those experiences, but she'll need another way to financially stay afloat. If I can financially survive without doing tours, I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'm okay with just providing a safe haven for animals if I'm able to financially provide well for them and not struggle and not have to have meals skipped and stuff like that. I will never let my animals get to that point, ever. Ashley Carr says that Predators of the Heart is a valuable educational tool that brings people closer to the natural world. We do wildlife education and teach people why each animal actually plays a vital role in the web of life. And we actually encourage people of why animals need to be out in nature and not be in captivity. That's one of our biggest things that we try to teach people of how much we need them to stay out in nature so that because without wildlife, there is no life. If the shelter shuts down, Carr says she'll have to euthanize some of the animals because of limited shelter space and the age of the wolf dogs. Both the Animal Legal Defense Fund and the Northwest Animal Rights Network dispute this claim and say it's possible to rehome these animals instead of putting them down and that wolves have been rehomed successfully before. Ashley Carr says she'll continue to fight for this permit in Superior Court. And all of this has raised questions for us, like what makes an animal sanctuary a sanctuary at all? And how do humans decide what's best for non-human animals? 
We put those questions to Emma Maris. Emma is an environmental writer and the author of the book Wild Souls, Freedom and Flourishing in the Non-Human World. Hi, Emma. Thanks very much for being here. It's a pleasure. So you wrote a book about ethics of human interactions with animals. When we talk about what's best for animals, how do you consider scenarios like the one we're talking about today in Anacortis? I think that's what's what, what is particularly tricky about this case is that these are at least allegedly wolf dogs. So they're sort of half wild and half domestic. And it makes it really tricky to know how we should care for them because we have very different rules or very different ethical ideas about what's best for dogs versus what's best for wolves. I mean, dogs are, are sort of humanity's best friend and wolves are the epitome of wildness. And most of us have been raised to feel that the right thing to do by wolves is to give them a lot of space and to let them be free and wild. Whereas for dogs, we have to take care of them on a daily basis. So where do wolf dogs fall into this? It's tricky. You know, there's this interesting scenario involved with predators of the heart where Ashley Carr says that when she has been conducting these tours where she invites small groups into the wolf dog enclosure, she doesn't force any contact with the animals and humans. She's not forcing the animals to interact with people. But it's really hard, I think, in a general sense here. How do you determine whether an animal consents to something or is content with what's being done in a scenario like this? Yeah, I think that's really difficult. So I did a lot of research on zoos for my book. And, you know, zoos are are held to very high standards. The AZA wants to make sure the welfare of zoos is, you know, the welfare of animals in zoos is very high. But they run up against this exact problem, which is that you can't just ask another species what it wants or what it needs to be happy. And we often get it wrong. Even zoos that are AZA accredited have plenty of animals inside that are not happy for various reasons about the amount of space they have or how much contact they have with people or noise. You know, we can communicate with dogs in a way that's, I think, quite special, a quite quite special cross-species communication Everything I've read about wolf dogs suggests that sometimes that kind of level of direct emotional communication isn't as easy because they don't have all of those domestication genes. So I think it actually makes it harder to know what they want. Now, I'm sure Ashley feels like she has a good connection with her animals and she knows what she what they want. Yeah. For you, what makes an institution a sanctuary? What does that mean to be a sanctuary? Well, this, yeah, these terms are really tricky because they do get used kind of all over the place and not necessarily in places where they apply. Okay, so let's take a step back here. So a sanctuary sort of implies that the animals inside the sanctuary are wild animals. That this is a place that these animals are going because they can't be let back into the wild. It's not the ideal solution, but it's sort of the making the best of a bad situation. A true sanctuary is never going to breed its animals, number one. That's the sort of number one thing that a true refuge or sanctuary is not going to do is breed. They're taking care of animals that are in a less than ideal situation because ideally they would be free in the wilderness. But since that can't be, they'll keep them as comfortable and happy as possible for the rest of their lives. 
but they're absolutely not going to breed them. And why is the breeding action, why is that such a key trigger for you to say whether it's something's a sanctuary or not? Right. So if you're talking about a, a wild animal, you know, if you're talking about like a big cat, like a tiger, or if you're talking about a true wolf, you know, these are animals that most people don't think should be in private hands, that they shouldn't be people's pets, they shouldn't be in their backyards. And just in general, even in zoos, they aren't necessarily as happy as they would be in their sort of more natural habitat, their more typical habitat. Wolves have huge ranges in the wild. They go hundreds of miles. You know, there was a famous story of a wolf that that went all the way from Northeast Oregon to California. They, you know, no matter how big your enclosure is, it's not big enough. So a real refuge is is not going to make a new animal that's going to have to spend its entire life in captivity because that's not aligned with their values. Their values are that wild animals should be in the wild and they're just stepping in in cases where some animal is not able to be in the wild, probably because it spent you know much of its life in captivity. Yeah. Ashley Carr with Predators of the Heart and Anacortis would strongly say that the organization she runs is a sanctuary and, and not a zoo. What do you think about the idea of human and animal interactions, which is something that she's had to uh, fight uh, through regulatory and legal action here, the right to have people interacting? Are there sanctuaries who can successfully conduct that and still make money, for example, to stay in business while not kind of crossing the line into petting zoo territory? First of all, I I wanted to say this before, so I'll just say it now that, that, you know, if a a facility is going to call itself a sanctuary or a refuge, then that's sort of implying to the public that the animals that they have there are wild animals that need a need some sort of caretaking. But then if the animals that are in that sanctuary are actually domestic dogs, then that seems confusing to me. That doesn't seem like a sanctuary. That seems like a person who owns many domestic dogs. That doesn't That's the confusion with these wolf dogs, right? Is that you know, people right. are not sure what to classify them as because they're part dog and part wolf. And what does that mean for their domestic status versus their wild status? Right. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out that that sort of judging, it's it's a little confusing to sort of judge how well or how poorly a given institution succeeds as a refuge or as a sanctuary if the animals there are, are being claimed to be domestic animals, because then now suddenly we have a different set of expectations or a different set of, in some cases, a different set of laws. And I do want to also mention that, you know, the American Veterinary Medical Association is opposed to to any breeding of canine hybrids, any kind of wolf dogs, because they do constitute a hazard to human health. And my research indicates that many of them don't have happy lives. Often they do end up having to go to some kind of sanctuary facility because they don't fit in well in a humanized environment. So having said that, let's go back to the public interaction. So I think most people who are in this world would say that a reputable sanctuary is not going to breed, they're not going to allow direct contact with their animals, and they're not going to sell their animals. Direct contact, you know, I it means anything from holding the animal for a photo to even petting it or giving it a belly rub. I don't think that these are things that sort of a reputable sanctuary would do. Now, you will note that some zoos actually offer opportunities like this, that there yes. are some zoo places where you can go and you can pet animals or you can feed them. And in some cases, this is only offered with farm animals, again, showing how 
humans tend to divide animals in different categories based on these kind of arbitrary categories of pet or domestic versus wild. But there are even zoos where you can touch uh, wild animals. I follow koala sanctuaries on uh, Instagram, Emma. That's one of my guilty pleasures. And they're constantly letting people pick up those koalas. I know. And I just, I do want to like say that I don't necessarily think that I am the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong here. A lot of our ethical intuitions about what's right and what's wrong do depend on these categorizations between wild animals, feral animals, pet animals, farm animals. And at some level, these are artificial categorizations that we've made up, right? These animals don't know which category they fit into. If you're a wolf dog, you don't have an opinion on whether you're a wild animal or a pet. You're just trying to make your way through life. And so it's really got at some level going to have to be quite case by case on what is okay or not okay. And I don't want to be the judge and jury of that. I will say that, you know, I think if I was going to spend any money at looking at animals in a kind of a refuge or a sanctuary, I would be very turned off or very much less likely to spend my money at a refuge that involved touching or direct contact with animals. Ashley has talked about her fears that if Predators of the Heart is forced to shut down, that some of the animals will have to be euthanized. And that leads me to question, you know, how many facilities are out there and available to take in uh, cougars and animals like wolf dogs that are housed now in Anacortes at this at this property. I mean, is that a realistic fear that if the shelter shuts down, that you would have to end up destroying some of the animals? I don't think I know enough to comment on that. I think that sure. the landscape of shelter space is a kind of a moving target. I know that the ALDF did say they believed that there could be places for all these animals, but I do know that in certain times and places, it can be difficult to find placements. I think what's really important to get across to listeners or what I'd love to listeners to think about is that the issue here for me is that these wolf dogs were born on the property They were bred by the previous owner. And so they're not rescues. They were born there. You can't call yourself a sanctuary if you are offering sanctuary to your own animals. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the underlying tension here. And one of the things that critics are really zeroing in on as they're asking for the county and and for regulators to crack down on predators of the heart. Emma, you've given us a lot to think about, and I always appreciate kind of thinking about the wider questions of what do we owe, you know, creatures and what do we owe nature and other animals besides humans, especially when we have done so much to alter their habitats and alter their ability to thrive. Emma, thank you very much for the conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Emma Maris is an environmental writer and author of the book Wild Souls, Freedom and Flourishing in the Non-Human World. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. By the way, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. 
Find NPR's Through Line wherever you get your podcasts.